a time of the word and as Pastor Kay shared as well, we are, we are focusing on a series and this interesting series all around about giving and stewardship and as I was preparing and praying over this series, which I'll tell you the title in a second, John chapter 6 verses 1 through to 14, I must be multitasking in my mind this morning, forgive me, everyone there with me so far? Okay, just making sure, alright, let's, let's read. After these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Verse 2, then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up to the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Verse 6, then this he said to test them. For he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here. Somebody say a lad here. Who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Somebody say sit down. Now there was much grass in this place that the men sat down in the numbers of 5,000. And Jesus took the, the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those, that sit, that, to those sitting down and likewise of the fish and as much as they wanted. Verse 12. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled the 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over from those that hadn't eaten. Verse 14. So those men, when they had seen the signs of what Jesus has said, what Jesus did, they said, this truly is the prophet who has come into the world. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Amen. Today's sermon is entitled, the God who multiplies. The God who multiplies. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your word. I thank you for profound and amazing stories like this, oh God, that we can read and learn because there are so many layers in your holy word. Father, I pray that we can unravel such layers and be blessed and not only be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word, O oh God. May we be saints that don't only come together to listen, but be saints that come together to act and follow through with the calling that you've called us to, to love you with our whole mind, body, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Father, may you continue to work in us and through us. In Jesus' mighty name, I have prayed. Amen, 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 and amen. As I share this sermon with you, I want us to dive a little bit deeper into understanding this in the book of John chapter 6. How many people did they go and feed? Question and answer time. How many people did they go and feed? How many people, you guys are all looking at me like, do you go to church? We just read it a few seconds ago. How many people did they go and feed? Multitudes. Oh, interesting. I love that. I love that. The smarty pants in the building. 
In verse 1, what does it tell us? In verse 1, what it comes to tell us is that in these things, Jesus went up to the sea, that in, and it says the Sea of Galilee. But the interesting, thing, the interesting thing about the Sea of Galilee, it was actually a lake, but they called it, and they coined it the Sea of Galilee. People of the Galileans called it the, the Sea of Galilee, but it was actually really like a lake that Jesus was in. And it tells us that it was a great multitude of people that followed after him. But what I, what I love about these things is that when we're talking about the God who multiplies, there's five key areas that you're going to be seeing. I'll be flowing through today. And those areas is one, the test. Two, the mindsets, which is survival thrive. Three, obedience. Four, to bless, to give, uh, to bless and give thanks. And five, stewardship. And you'll be seeing me flowing through all those various areas throughout the sermon today. What do I mean by number one, the test? It tells us in verse six, for, let's read from verse five to six. Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that they may eat? He's looked up and said, whoa, all these people have come to see me. Where are we going to buy bread? How, do, how are we going to feed these people? They've come to be blessed, but how are we, how, how we going to feed these people? And verse six says, but he said this to what? test him he said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do i've come to learn and believe when it comes to the issue of giving at times where we may feel reluctant to give and sometimes we're like wow this maybe i'm meant to give but i'm not really too sure all those are opportunities because a test is now in front of you you are now facing a test you're facing a test a friend of mine came to um my house um, a, a couple months back and he was telling me about somebody that he was avoiding to speak to because God laid on his heart to bless that person <laughs> and when God laid on his heart to bless that person you know sometimes you're always trying to avoid that you're like maybe it's me that's speaking maybe it's get behind me saying whatever you're trying to avoid it at all costs and what happens in the test we sometimes try to test God we might say things like well God you know what if it was truly from you that person might call me at so and so time and if that person calls me, then I know, yeah, this test really came from you. And what happened? Later on, he's found out that friend called him. But he decided to make it small. So, how are you doing, bro? You call you? I'm a bit busy, but I'll, I'll chat to you later. And he left it as that. It's like, oh, yeah. But he felt in his heart grieved. He felt heavy. Like, the Holy Spirit's telling him that you should really bless this person. But he was just, he was holding back to some degree. That friend of his called him another time. Just chatting. Didn't ask for anything. Literally just chatting. And as that friend of his was chatting, what happened? The Holy Spirit reminded him, remember what I told you? Remember what I told you? Remember what I told you? And he still, annoyed, he still avoided the whole opportunity to give onto that person. Because God told him, bless this person. But he's thinking, God, you want me to bless this person? But even what I've got, I, I don't even have much myself. How do you expect me to bless this person? Lo and behold, a few months later down the line, that same friend of mine lost a particular job. And he was annoyed. He was frustrated. He was thinking, why me? I'm really limited and now the job I've got, I've lost it. And it wasn't even his fault why he lost the job to make matters even worse. But what he didn't realise, God was opening up doors in other areas of his life. Eventually, he went to have a catch up with his dear friend. And as he had a catch up with his dear friend, him and his friend were just chatting and he said, you know what, something's been heavy on my heart. God just told me that I needed to give you this amount of money. Like, what? Really? And his friend was like, no, I, didn't, I don't need anything like that right now. I said, yeah, I know, but... I've been fighting, I've been fighting. And even as I'm speaking to you, talking and just having a good time, I know that God, the Holy Spirit, told me to give you this money. He said, all right, cool. He transferred it to his friend's bank account. As he did that, everything, his friend said, thank you so much, whatever, just went about his life. A few weeks later, 
God began to open up so many other doors in a particular business where he's been gifted with a particular talent. And he started meeting so many people in this industry and all these people that, he's like, wow, all these people are at my disposal and the job I lost, I didn't know God was going to open up something bigger and far greater. And he went to call his friend. And the friend, he was just telling his friend, oh, my days, like, this new job that I've got, like, I'm getting all these clients, this, that, and the other, like, I don't know where it's coming from. It's great, man. Thanks be to God. And, yeah, like, I don't even know where this is coming from. His friend said, wow, do you remember that time when you gave, when you blessed that person with some money? He said, yeah. So maybe God was just using that as, as many other opportunities to see your obedience, to remind you that no matter the scarcity you may have in your pocket, he's always going to bring an abundance to your home and your household. And it opened up his eyes, like, oh, you totally forgot. And that reminds me at times that sometimes we give on to God, but he may not reward us in the time that we want or in the way that we want, but we must understand that God, we serve a God who multiplies. What does he tell him? First, verse 6, as I said, there was a test. There was a test. Verse 7, Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little it's not even enough that even if we were to give to everyone and have a little, it's not enough. Jesus, that was got enough. And what happened? Scarcity mindset. Happens to us, right? But God, God, I want you to, God, the Holy Spirit speaks to us, do this, do that. You're like, but if I do that, how am I going to pay this? How am I going to do that? How am I going to go on this holiday? Trust me. But it's a little, I don't have enough. And what does it tell us in verse 9? Then there was a lad. Some versions say a small boy. And there's something interesting that I love about this because me and my West African household is, hey boy, small boy, come, 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 come. And we call them small boy, but the scripture here uses the term lad. He was a small boy. But I was like, hold on, if this boy had five loaves up and it tells us barley bread, why is that interesting? Because it wasn't wheat bread because wheat bread is expensive. Barley bread is pretty cheap. But hold on, this small boy has got five loaves of bread and two fish. Where was his parents? Did anyone ever wonder, where was this boy's parents? Where was his dad? Where was his mom? He came. Sometimes, and I'm one of those people, when I read scripture, I try to visualize it in multiple ways. I started thinking, like, as Jesus tells us, unless you are like these little children, you can never inherit the kingdom. What happens? I can imagine the disciples like, has anybody got any food? And what do you think everybody's doing? They're probably looking around like, hide that one. Put that one away. Hide that one. Don't let, don't let anybody see that one. Just like my wonderful parents when, well, like, mom, is there any drink or anything in the house? No, go and drink water. But as soon as guests comes to the house, all the juice and everything comes out, like, where did that come from? It's that everything's just hidden. And what, began, and what I began to see, I started visualizing, where did this small boy get this from? But also, what gave him the courage and the boldness? Hey, look what I've got. Look what I've got for Jesus. Look what I've got. There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. Notice it wasn't big fish. It wasn't yellow crocodile tilapia. It was small fish. Small. But Jesus does something significant in verse 10. And Jesus said to them, make the people what? Sit down. Verse, verse 6 reminds us of the test. Verse 7 reminds us of the mindset because of scarcity. And what happens in verse 10? We're now beginning to see obedience. Sit down. Know that I am God. Sit down. Be still. Know that I am God. Sit down. Tell the people to sit down. And what does it say? It said there was much grass in the place so that the men sat down in numbers of 5,000. And I asked you guys a question. How many people, again, were there at that time? All right. And that's one of the beauties of understanding 
this particular part of scripture. It says, he told the men, to, to, so, so that the men sat down in numbers of 5,000. When you understand the Greek of the term men, it wasn't men, women, and children. It was just men. Which means that people that were fed were probably four times the 5,000. But it started with five loaves of bread and two small fish, or barley loaves of bread and two small fish. And tells us that the grass was long. What is that significant of? It was probably springtime. So it was probably warm and hot during that particular period when they sat down in those areas. But what does Jesus do in verse 11? It says, and Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them. Which is point number four I want you to be aware of. We must first bless and give thanks before it is distributed. Whatever you're choosing to give unto God, make sure that you bless it. Whatever you're choosing to give unto God, whether it's tithing offering or even a friend or even somebody in need or even a, a person, a homeless person that you might see outdoors, like, let me just give them some money. If you do not bless what you're giving them, I don't think you've really given them anything at all. Because the issue isn't the money, the issue is the heart. Why do I say that? I've come to understand when it comes to the issue of giving, giving is more of a heart issue than a head and a, than a, head and a hand issue. I'll say it again. When it comes to the issue of giving, it is more of a heart issue than a head and hand issue. Head and hand being that, oh, but I haven't got enough. Or head like, yeah, but I need to weigh out all these things. Can I really calculate these things? Have you allowed space for God to multiply because we serve a God that multiplies? Let me prove this to you. Look at Jeremiah chapter 30. I'm going to read from verses 18 through to 19. Jeremiah chapter 30, I'll read from 18 through to 19. It says, thus says the Lord. Behold, I will bring back the captivity of Jacob's tent and have mercy on his dwelling places. The city shall be built upon its own mount and the palace shall remain according in its own plan. Verse 19. Then out of them shall proceed what? Thanksgiving. Out of them shall proceed thanksgiving and the voice of those, sorry, the voice of those who make merry, I will multiply them. Ooh, thanksgiving. What happens if whatever you're choosing to give unto somebody, say, God, however, whatever means I'm giving unto this person, multiply in a miraculous way. Multiply in a mysterious way. What happens? But also we see in there, thanksgiving must first precede the action of giving. Give thanks unto God before you give anything unto anybody else. I will multiply them and they shall not diminish. And I will also glorify them and they shall not be small. Multiplication. Let's read on further. Let me use another point. Genesis chapter 26, verse 4. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of the heaven. I will give to your descendants all of these lands. Please hold on to the term lands because there's a point I want to share with you later. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be what? Blessed. All the nations of the earth shall be what? Blessed. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. I'm going to read from verse 9. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to read from verse 6 through to 11, but I'm going to jump down from, I'll probably start from verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 9. Are you guys there with me? Great. And I'll read it, and it says as follows, and it is written, for he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10. Now many he, many, he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food and supply and what? 
multiply that the seed you have sown and increase the fruit of your righteousness. Verse 11. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. It multiplies. We serve a God of multiplication. We serve a God that whatever you place in God's hand, whatever you give back to God, whatever you want to say, God, I want to use this for your kingdom. He really multiplies in order to bring an advance. Because if there's one thing I've learned is that we live in a world and in a time that we're always seeking specialists. We're seeking specialists. If it's fitness, specialist is PT. If it's health, it's probably a nutritionist or a doctor, right? Or psychiatrist, depending on what the need may be. If it's finances, it's who? Somebody talk to me. Accountant. We are always seeking specialists. But have you ever wondered, when it comes to giving, who's the greatest specialist out there? It's the one who knows all. It's the one who sees the need of the nations. It's the one that when you place it in his hand, he multiplies it. That's why some people, like my friend, who she has um, a specialized, not only accountant, but what she had, somebody that handles all of her investments, he already knows where to use some of the investments that she has. So it's risk adverse, but also he's making sure when he uses some of his investment capital, he can bring back an area of multiplication or compounding effects or more than what she has originally put in. Do you understand that we serve a God that multiplies? The God that multiplies. But in understanding that God multiplies, we also need to be aware that our heart's position needs to be intact. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honour the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase. With the first fruits of your increase. This is not only an act, but this is also an act of discipline. Because when we are able to honour God with the first fruits of our increase, it continues to keep us in a place of humility and it already knows who our true accountant is. We know that God is better at managing our finances. God is better at managing our money than we are. And we are honouring God by placing it in his hands. Therefore, if that is true, what's the opposite? It's dishonouring God. Now you're not good at what you're doing. Don't worry, I, I know how to manage this better. God, I, don't worry about this. I've got, see, I know I've got all these bills and everything else. And I know you want to advance your kingdom, but I kind of need this money for these areas of my life. Are you going to honour God with these areas? Because as I said, the first is the test. The second is mindset, which is either survive or thrive. The third is obedience. The fourth is to bless, to give thanks, and then to distribute. And remember, the fifth is being a good steward of that. What do I mean by being a good steward of that? Look at verse 12 and 13 in the scriptures reading in John chapter 6. Verse 12 and 13. So when they, had, they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is what? Lost. Nothing is wasted. Nothing is lost. Gather up the fragments. Everybody's eating now. The 5,000 plus women and children. Everybody's eating now. And how many baskets was it? Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets of the fragments of the five barley loaves. So everybody enjoyed all the fish. When I read that, I don't know about you. As I said, I come from a wonderful African household. If you eat rice and stew, there needs to be some sort of meat on the side. I don't know about you guys, sort of my veganites in the house, maybe leaves and everything else, and that's fine. But for me, at that moment in time, it was making sure that there was always meat on the side. But as a child, what used to happen? My mum used to tell me, do not eat the meat before you finish your rice and stew. 
But it tells us here, there was no fish left. It was just bread, fragments. There was not even fish bone. It was just the fragments of bread. I was like, wow. But it says, the baskets are the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over for those who had eaten them. It was full. You see, one thing about God is that anything you place in God's hand, there is an overflow of abundance. The problem is that we're always expecting that overflow of abundance to come into our hands, forgetting that if we're willing to truly give unto God and say, God, use this for your kingdom, do you trust God that nothing is wasted and he's always going to use it for the advancement of his kingdom? Do you trust God with that? Do you believe God is good enough to know how to manage your finances more than you are? Do you believe in that is the God that you serve? Another thing I want us to look at. Why is it important that we understand that God is a God that multiplies? And why is it important that we must also mimic the same actions and natures of God in order to also multiply? I believe that is true when you look at Genesis. And what I mean by looking at Genesis, look at Genesis 1. I'm going to read from verse 26 to 28. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through to 28. Then God said, let us make man in whose image? And according to whose likeness? Our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over, the, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that's on the earth. Jump down to verse um, 28. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, what? Okay, if he's telling us to be fruitful and multiply, but he's also made us in his image and in his likeness, therefore it's an opportunity for us to almost do as God is doing. Not to his capacity, but within the characteristic traits, knowing that God is fruitful and always multiplying. And God has given us to almost be co-creators in that aspect, to be fruitful and multiply. That's why we understand that nothing that is created is, or, is of the original. What do I mean by that? How many of you guys have ever thought the musicians in the household wave for me quickly? Musicians in the household, you guys are just looking at me, you're musicians, you're not even waving. What happens when sometimes you've heard a song? You've heard a song, I like that song. Or you might have heard a sermon or heard something online and straight away it triggers a chord in you and you now want to create something off the back of it. How many people that may be entrepreneurs in this place? You see something, oh my days, I can add a little twist to that and I'll create something off the back of that. You see, through the power of what you've seen, you can now even multiply it or make something unique out of it, but it was always the original. See, God is the blueprint. And that's one thing I've learned is that God, we can multiply because we are made in his likeness. Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 34 to 35 for a moment. Acts chapter 20, verse 34 to 35. Acts chapter 20, verse 34 to 35. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities, for those who were with me. Verse 35. Verse 34 to 35. Verse 35. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak, and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, that it is what? It is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. The God of multiplication. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Have you ever wondered what our friendships would be like if we were focused on giving? What our marriages could be like if we are focused on giving? 
what our relationships will be like if we're focused on giving, if what our church will be like if we're focused on giving. But to give is to position yourself in a place of service, a place of servitude in order to say, well, where do you have need? I was with my friend yesterday with his daughter and she was kicking up a fuss. And he said something interesting. He said it was what's so funny before he became a parent. He used to see kids that used to misbehave and he used to look at the parent like, you embarrassed that. Like, your child be like, treating you that manner. Now when he sees his child mess up or misbehave, he sees that as an opportunity to be like Christ. Like, it's okay, my daughter. It's okay. It's still kicking. It's all right. And it's so humbling. It's blessed to give patience. It's blessed to give forgiveness. It's more blessed to give than to receive. The question is that, what are you giving and what are you receiving? What are you giving and what are you receiving? The next point I want us to look at in understanding the God who multiplies is to be aware of where do we place our treasure? Where do you place your treasure? Notice I said treasure. Where do you place your treasure? I said treasure, I didn't say gift. Why do I say this? Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 21. Matthew chapter 6 Verse 19 through to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and the rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in where? Heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy and where the thieves do not break in to steal. Why is this interesting? Because I love the fact that I use the word treasure. Because we sometimes mix up treasure and gifts. See, your gifts is what you need to give away. I always say, if you do not give your gift away, then you've not really truly maximized that gift. But your treasure is what you store up. People mix up the two. How are you utilizing your treasure? Yeah, I'm using this. I'm going to keep this for myself. No, but then anything you really want to keep for yourself should really be stored up in heaven. Where nothing can steal or break in and eat of it. But your gift is something that you're always giving away. But the question is this. Therefore, is money a treasure or a gift? Is money a treasure or a gift? Can you die with your money? Can you die with your money? Like the way they used to do to the Egyptian pharaohs. Can you? Somebody answer me. Yeah? Okay. And the more I've come to see it, the more I've realized that who really owns our money? Who gives us the money? So when we pay our tithes and our offering, we're giving God back part of our what? Our gift. But why does it become treasure? It becomes treasure when you know that you've given unto God and God now makes your gift a permanent treasure for you. But you can only truly give unto God when you're giving into his kingdom. You can only give unto God when you're helping the needy, when you're helping the poor, when you're helping those that truly need your helping hand. Because anything you cannot give away is never truly yours. And when you could truly give it away, then you know it's truly treasure. Because I'm willing to give on to these things. Because as God sees it, the woman with the two mites, the woman with the two mites, look, she's giving out of her poverty. She's giving, look what she's doing there. Look what she's doing there. Because it, it was important to her. It was so important to her. But she was able to give in that manner where nothing can steal, where nothing can eat it. And it reminds me of Psalms chapter 37, reading from verse 16 to 17. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord upholds the righteous. 
Do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. The Lord upholds the righteous. Are you truly going to seek God's kingdom? Are you truly going to help God and be a co a co-worker in saying, God, I want to be a good steward. I want to do these things for you because I can glorify your name when I do these things for you. Because if there's one thing I love about it, it says God upholding the righteous, it's a timely reminder of Matthew 6, 33. Timely reminder. As we truly seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and its righteousness, and everything else will be added onto us. But to seek first the kingdom is to ask, God, where do you have need? Where do, where do you want us to help out? As we've been looking at this situation that's happening in Afghanistan, I don't, know about, I don't know about you, but I have been way down and thinking, how can I help? felt helpless. Seeing, seeing a soldier carry somebody's child over a fence to know that the mother doesn't, does the mother even know if she's going to see that child again? Lord, how can I help? And guess what the enemy started doing? I started seeing so many charities from even other religions of how you can donate to those pages. And I started thinking, but I don't know they're going to use that money in the right way. I don't know they're not going to misuse the money. I don't know it might not be one of these other schemes that are going to use it in a different way. And the, the Holy Spirit was reminding me, do you trust in faith that when you give, I will find a way to get it to its right destination and used in the right ways? Because yeah, John 10.10 10, I truly believe even echoes when it comes to giving. The enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And yes, even though those scriptures in context was used in various ways, I also believe it relates to this area when it comes to giving and our heart's disposition and stuff. Why? Because the enemy has come to what? Steal? Your understanding of what giving truly means? He's come to kill what abundance looks like in your life and he's come to destroy the greater things that he wants to use to advance not only your life but also the kingdom and your community and your family but what does it tell us in the latter part of John 10 10 he's come to give us life and life more abundantly abundance is multiplication abundance is a compounding effect abundance is greater than what you had in the former abundance but in order to do that we must first understand that we serve a God who multiplies. The last few things I want to quickly share with you, if you look at Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22. Genesis 22 from verse 8 to 17. I'm just going to paraphrase on some of it. What happens here? We are seeing Abraham has to give up his son. He has to give up his son. Why do I find this extremely powerful? Because what he says in verse 12 in Genesis 22, he says, and he said, do not lay your hand, sorry, it says, do not lay your hand on the lad and do nothing to him. For I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. What happens? The angel of the Lord appears to Abraham as he's about to sacrifice his son. It says, wait, he calls Abraham. Do not lay your hand on who? Do not lay your hand on who? But what did we read? With the person that had the five loaves of bread. There is a lad here. Do not lay your hand on the lad. Do not lay your hand on the lad. Your only son, because what was Abraham doing? The very thing he treasured. The very thing he had, the very thing he owned, the very thing that he felt belonged to him. And as I said earlier, anything you cannot give away is never truly yours. But because he was willing to give his son away unto God, God says, no, 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 do not lay your hand on him. Do not lay your hand on him. And what happens in verse 14? Abraham calls the name of the place the Lord will provide. 
Abraham calls the land of the place the Lord who will provide. As it said in the day, in the mount of the Lord, he shall be provided. And look at verse 18 on that same script, on that same particular section of Genesis 22. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because of what? You have obeyed my voice. When it comes to giving, are you allowing God to speak? You know the funny thing? Can you imagine if Abraham told all these boys that I'm about to sacrifice my son? Are you mad? Bro, your only son, you know how long you had to work? You and your missus, <laughs> that was some serious work for you to get. And your only miracle, your only blessing, you're about to give it away. Can you imagine telling people? And that's why I believe sometimes why it says, God says, don't tell people about your giving. Because sometimes they may discourage you. But as long as God knows and heaven knows, then it's truly, truly blessed. But it says that he obeyed the voice of God. Incline your ear to the voice of God when it comes to giving. And please understand that when it comes to giving, we must understand that when we give unto people, when we give unto the needy, let us truly give without expecting anything in return. Exodus 22, 25 says, If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not treat it like a business deal and charge no interest. Give it. Give it. I love how one of my mentors put it. He said, when he gives on to somebody and he blesses somebody or somebody says, I really need this, he actually gives not expecting anything in return. What is your heart's position when it comes to giving on to people? What is your heart's position when it comes into those areas? And as I close with you, I've come to realize that for us to adopt the heart, the mindset, the mentality, and the posture of knowing that we serve a God who multiplies, and to be able to do in the same manner of the way God has done, I've come to realize that there is a secret that is needed to unlocking this. I had to ask myself about my life or the life of our church or the life of our community and our nation. God, what stops us from really being able to be cheerful givers? What stops us from evil really being able to give unto your kingdom and advance your kingdom? What stops us? As I said, it's more of a heart issue than a head and a hand issue. But I realized that there is one thing that changes the paradigm of it all. And that one thing is found in two or three scriptures and I'll share them with you here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9. But it is written. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9. But it is written. Your eyes have not seen. Nor your ear heard. Nor has entered into the heart of man. The things which God has prepared for them who love him. Let's see if you can find this out, what the key thing is in here. The second scripture is Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 tells me as follows. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. As I was reading that, the thing that stuck out to me when it comes to the issue of giving isn't about the amount of money you've got, all your bills, all your expenses, all the problems you're facing. It's about love. It's love. Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nose even entered in the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for them, for those who love him. Are your eyes focused on the one who truly is love? For all things work together, all things work together. The bills, the pain, the problem, the poverty, the process, all things work together for those who 
love God and are called according to his purpose. You know you're called according to his purpose because you are fully in love with him. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can take you out of his hands. You know you truly love God in that manner. And when you love God in that manner, ah, the power of multiplication begins to process. As we look at what's happening Afghanistan and these places, I've only got one pound, is one pound enough? Trust me, the same way Jesus remembered the woman with those two mites that put it into the treasury, the same way I believe anybody in this place that when you give unto the kingdom with a true heart and a loving heart of God, what you've given has more power than the one that's given millions because God's ways are not our ways. Do not let anybody ever belittle you and make you feel that what you're giving into his kingdom is never enough. Because if there's one thing, and you guys have heard me say this, and I'll share it with you in closing, that the power of giving is not what we have, but what God has. And that remind me, as we're seeing, the small boy, the small lad, a lad has five loaves, five loaves of bread and two fish. Do not kill the lad. Do not, no, 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 do not. I remember a lad that went into a sweet shop. And some of you remember me sharing about penny sweets. Apart from inflation as we have today, Trust me, back in the days, once upon a time, if you have one pound, you're going to get a hundred penny sweets. And now this lad went into this place with his dad and he said, when he went to give, and, but what used to happen, you give the shopkeeper the money, he has a bag that he puts for the sweets and he, you're meant to have a handful, you put it in there and then he takes it and the, the shopkeeper said, yeah, there's the bag, all right, go on, go and collect your sweets. Mm-hmm. So what, are you, what are you doing, bruv? There's the bag, go and collect your sweets. The little boy's like, yeah. and you can imagine the dad's a little bit confused, looking at his son, like, what are you doing? Like, he's giving you the bag, you've given him the money, he's giving you the bag, the exchange has been made. Go and collect your sweets. Yeah. The shopkeeper's like, okay, cool. Right, takes it, takes the bag back off the boy, puts his hand in, collects the sweets, wraps it, gives it to him. Everyone's strange. The dad walks out of his son, looks at his son, like, what was that all that about? Why, why would you let this man grab all the sweets? And why do you not do it? He's giving you the bag. He says, the shopkeeper's hands are bigger than mine. The shopkeeper's hands are bigger than mine. Do you remember that God's hands are bigger than yours? That everything you give unto God, when you place it in God's hands, that there is a multiplication, there is an abundance, there is a breakthrough, and there is a wisdom that God uses through his mysterious nature and his power for us to truly advance in his kingdom. Because there is a test. We can either survive or thrive. We must learn to remain obedient. And we must understand that we must first bless before we give and always give thanks. And as we do those things, the last thing of that is to be good stewards of what God has placed in our possession so we can live a life of purpose as we truly love him in truth and in spirit. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you because you truly are the God who multiplies. You truly are the God that is the sovereign king. You are the God that took those five barley loaves of bread, not even wheat, cheap bread and two small fish, and you multiplied it for the 5,000 plus. Lord, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that your spirit of love, the potent and the power and the peace that surpasses all understanding, let it rule our heart and minds, O God. Father, rule over our heart and mind, O God, to be cheerful givers. Let us be radical givers. Let us be givers that don't only give when we're told to, but we give radically and spontaneously, not only to your kingdom and to those that have need, 
but let us teach us to have the mind and heart knowing that what we give is truly what you've blessed and put in our hands, that when we give, we bless it, we say thanks, and thank you for giving us the opportunity to be cheerful givers. Father, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you really bless and help us, oh God, to understand the principles of giving. For you said, oh God, in your word, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Father, may your will be done in our lives, both individually and collectively as the body of Christ. As we have prayed, in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. As you all continue to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, it's one thing for us to talk about giving, but it's another thing to understand the true giver.